All right, all right. We are here with staff Sheehan, uh, not Sheehan like like Han Solo. Thanks for that clarification before before pressing record. Co-founder and CTO of Air Company. Oh, how simple that sounds. But boy, the complexity and the opportunity of carbon to value underneath that. Pretty cool stuff, uh, staff. I'm glad to to have you on and press record this time and and share some of the innovation you guys are up to with uh, with a lot more folks. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. It's great to great to hear from you. And you know, as a true entrepreneur, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna share with folks. We have a great sound booth for staff, which is his car, his preferred sound booth for recording podcasts, I believe. So uh, anyway, <laughs> the entrepreneurs in the in the audience will surely appreciate the uh, adaptability to do that. So pl- plenty of soft services there in the car. I hey, call it the mobile sound booth. There you go, mobile <laughs> sound booth. I like it. I like it. Your next product line. So let's let's get started. So Air Company, what do you guys do? So at Air Company, we create products from carbon dioxide, water, and renewable electricity. So the the only inputs to our process are carbon dioxide that we capture from point sources of the air, water, and wind and solar electricity at present. And the uh, the only things that come out are alcohol products as well as oxygen gas. So the only emission from our process is the same oxygen that's in the air that we breathe, and we need to have it in the air that we breathe. (laughs) Yes, I I hope so. So the uh, combination there, pretty simple, but the process to get to the end products you're after, uh, not so simple. So maybe share some about your, I guess, training, uh, let's say, staff uh, to get to the point where you you and your team can turn those three simple inputs into a lot of valuable uh, outputs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it sounds simple, but if it was if it was easy, then somebody definitely would have done it before, and climate change wouldn't be quite as bad as uh, as it is right now. Here, here. So, um, it, it is. It does get pretty complicated when you get down to the details. It's what's called an artificial photosynthetic process. So, I'll break down that that term. Photosynthesis. That that kind of means using light to drive a chemical reaction. The kind of photosynthesis that everybody learns about in middle school is what trees do. Uh, they breathe in carbon dioxide, they take in water, and they breathe out oxygen, and they make uh, sugars or more tree or products, essentially. So our technology is artificial photosynthesis. So it does the same basic chemistry as what trees do, except it's using man-made processes that can do it at the same rate that we're spewing carbon dioxide out into the atmosphere. Because trees are great, but they don't suck up CO2 fast enough as compared to how fast we're putting it out. So, so basically, you're improving upon trees. So I like that, right? Nice and nice and humble. Ha ha ha. Um, no, seriously, the um, the transformation of you know, look, a, a kind of a a mundane topic of photosynthesis that at least our two boys who are 16 and 13, they're like, Dad, man, like we're learning about photosynthesis again this year, like the fifth or sixth time. Slightly more detail, but we we kind of get it now, uh, staff. I can I can go to them and say. Oh yeah, but uh, this is where science gets like really, you know, effing cool. Is uh, you make it artificial photosynthesis, and now you you turn carbon dioxide a waste right into all these things that we that we buy. So I, I already consider this podcast a massive success because you've given me fodder to uh, disrupt my my teenager's perspective on on science. So so kudos, thank you. <laughs> Um, I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, All right. So now back to you. 
a few degrees, a little kind of complex math and, and chemistry. Yeah, tell us about the path, if you will, to go from where you were to where you are, if you, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been studying chemistry uh, in, in one way or another for well over a decade. You know, I, I uh, started doing research on sustainable technology, sustainable chemical technologies. When I was 18 years old and at college, I went to Boston College and studied physics and chemistry. After that, I uh, did a PhD in chemistry at Yale University for that. And uh, after I graduated from Yale, I started a business in the chemical industry. So I learned a little bit about the chemical industry through that. And then, you know, after exiting that business, I uh, decided to get together with my business partner, uh, Greg, and, and start a company that could have a transformative global impact toward fighting climate change. And that's really the goal of Air Company. And, you know, my background is definitely on the technical side. So I spend all my time working on technology development, working on technology scale up. You know, those are the, the, the hard things to do in this field because, well, you know, if people had scaled up, as I mentioned before, if people had scaled up technologies that could effectively fight climate change, then climate change wouldn't be as big of a problem as, as it is right now. So there's this gap needed both um, in consumer products to make them more sustainable, as well as industrial chemicals and industrial fuels to be able to make things in a way that prevents the need to dig up fossil fuels. All right, so I'm noting two things in my, my list here. One is I want to unpack how you jumped from studying you know, physics and math to, oh, I don't know, let's start a company uh, and run it and exit it. That's a story we're going to come back to. But I think probably what listeners are eager to hear first is what are examples of this, this kind of carbon to value transformation? What's kind of, say, generation one, you know, line of products that you all are creating at Air Company? And what might the next generation look like? Absolutely. And thanks, Chris. That's a great question. The first and biggest challenge of carbon dioxide utilization is cost. If it were cheaper to make chemicals and fuels from carbon dioxide in the air and renewable electricity than it is to dig up fossil fuels, then we wouldn't have to dig up fossil fuels. The reason why we dig up fossil fuels is because they're the most cost effective. So Air Company started out and is currently uh, you know, selling very premium consumer goods consumer goods that are at the top of their class using the alcohol that we produce from carbon dioxide. Um, our first product was vodka. Uh, our vodka is in market in New York City, and it won gold medals at the three largest blind taste test competitions in the world. So it is in the highest tiers of quality as far as vodka goes. So that vodka we make from carbon dioxide. Then when the pandemic hit, our second product was launched, which we accelerated due to the sanitizer shortage that was happening in New York City. We call it Air Spray. It's an 80% ethanol hand sanitizer. And that product was our champion product throughout the pandemic. We ended up donating 15,000 bottles to underserved communities and to first responders when the pandemic was really doing its worst to New York City. And uh, our third product is launching shortly. It, by the time this airs, it may actually be launched. So uh, we do have a, another product that's coming out within the next couple of weeks. You're leaving us uh, on the edge of our seats intentionally, I believe. I just want to note for the audience, we are, <laughs> we are on the edge of the seat. Well played, well played. I also want to make note that here you are as a startup. Again, you know, obviously some, some revenue and not insignificant funding, but 
You're making donations of a not insignificant uh, size as well. So again, not something you hear every day. Love it. When the pandemic hit, we're, we're in the middle of New York City, and there was a lot of uncertainty you know, when the pandemic hit, uh, especially in early April of 2020. So um, we, we took all of the ethanol that we had produced, and we mixed it in the sanitizer, and we, we donated it for several reasons. The first one was because a lot of supply chains were completely ruined by the pandemic. So it wouldn't get to the people that needed it the most if we had gone through the standard purchase and sale, you know, purchase order sort of procedure for a lot of these organizations. We had to find a way to skip the bureaucracy long and short of it. The second part of it is we did sell the hand sanitizer uh, as well. So we not only, we donated it, but we also sold it. But for every, and we still do this to this day, for every bottle of hand sanitizer that gets sold, we donate one. So that we don't make a, a profit on the sanitizer. We do it as a way to generate revenue, but also do good for our community and to help fight against COVID when it was at its worst. So the decision to donate was not one that we made lightly, um, especially because we are uh, an early stage business and we are dependent on, on our revenue to, to some extent. However, we thought that it was the right thing to do at the time. And, you know, our, our goal as a business is to do good first. And that's our, you know, it's most important for us to do the right thing. Wouldn't matter how much money that we made, but I wouldn't feel right if we weren't doing the right thing. That's excellent. Yeah. Wish there were more models like that. Going back to something you said a few minutes ago, if it were cheaper to produce a little, what, chemicals, a variety of consumer products from carbon dioxide, well, that would be the default, but it's not. Cost was the biggest issue here. As listeners think about, you know, the process of capturing the carbon, you know, transforming it, distributing, et cetera. What are the biggest kind of pieces of cost, if you will? And how is your all's business model or chemistry unique in order to address those biggest sources of cost to make this, we hope, the default method of producing the kinds of uh, inputs or final products that you are, are working on? Absolutely. So there's three major cost buckets when you're trying to transform carbon dioxide the way you do it in, a, in kind of a photosynthetic scheme. The first major cost bucket is renewable electricity. And we are, as much as many other businesses are dependent on the cost of renewable electricity, uh, getting cheaper as, as time goes on. But I think that there's a lot of finance going behind renewable electricity, and there's a lot of governmental support around the world going behind renewable electricity because everybody knows that we need it. So, you know, I will say first, the, one of the biggest challenges for CO2 utilization in general is greater grid penetration for grid assets like wind and solar. So that's the first one. The second one is carbon dioxide capture. Uh, we're dependent to some extent on our ability to source carbon dioxide. We're a carbon dioxide utilization company. Uh, we're not a carbon dioxide capture company, even though we do some carbon dioxide capture on the side to make sure that we have enough CO2. So that second bucket is really, really important. And there's a lot of companies that are doing great work around the world to do things like capture carbon dioxide from point sources like power plants more efficiently or to capture carbon dioxide from the air more efficiently. So that's the second thing that, that we need, not just we need, but I think the world needs, <laughs> the world needs more effective carbon dioxide capture. And, and you know, we are the, we're the people that, that make it both economic and do something with the carbon dioxide uh, after it's captured. Uh, and then the third is a little bit more nuanced. The third thing that, that we need falls under the kind of category of both of the previous things that I spoke about. The third thing that we need is more effective energy storage. 
Um, and we actually do that. You could actually think of our systems as they're almost like giant batteries because we're taking the electrical energy and we're transforming it into chemical energy so that it can be stored, uh, you know, more effectively and for a longer period of time. Now, what you do with that chemical energy, what you do with, with your ethanol, uh, you know, or what you do with your alcohols once you have them could either go down a path of mitigating fossil fuels or more permanent sequestration. You know, but once you have your the once you have that renewable electricity stored in the chemical bonds of, of a reduced carbon product, then you've done most of the work toward taking that carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere for storage either within the biosphere or more permanent geologic storage. Got it. All right. You know, you, you highlighted uh, the need for uh, renewable energy uh, costs to come down and the need for more slash uh, uh, cheaper storage. And, you know, Lazard produces a great levelized cost of energy and levelized cost of storage report uh, around each November or so. What we saw last year, uh, I believe, was something like 60 to 80 percent lower levelized cost of electricity for solar and wind over the last, you know, 10 or so years. So pretty dramatic reductions, similar story, more like 80 to 90% on, on lithium ion batteries. And accordingly, uh, Bloomberg New Energy Finance projects something like $10 trillion to go into renewables and batteries by 2050. So it's happening and lots more to come, which is gonna make you know our lives, but Gerald's business easier and, and more, more mainstream, I think it's safe to say. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the entire world is working very hard toward all toward all three of these things. Uh, you know, we couple together with all of them, and we we actually are an energy storage. Uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, our the electrolysis portion of our systems actually uh, can be used to level grids that um, you know have excess amounts of solar or wind energy to make sure that uh, the grid frequency doesn't change when you have a surge in production. You know, our our, our electrolysis part of our process is in itself a an effective method of energy storage it's just that you know we we rather than taking that energy and giving it back to the grid we take that chemical energy and we make products from it you know that's, that's a really interesting point and i don't think i thought about it what analogies would you draw to you know green hydrogen right i mean electrolysis you know similar story there you're you're putting it in the form of hydrogen of course typically that would be combusted but Maybe just kind of compare and, and contrast, you know, chemical, you know, energy storage, if you will, and green hydrogen. Is that is that the same or different than what you're talking about with air company? Yeah, it, it's it's the same uh, as far as the green hydrogen goes. We we just use the hydrogen as an intermediate, so we don't store the hydrogen. The hydrogen is quickly consumed to produce our alcohol. But it is the same thing that you hear from that entire field. It, it is an effective way of stabilizing renewable electricity, uh, you know, heavy grids. So I would say that the effectiveness of green hydrogen is coupled to what you're using it for. If you use it as a chemical intermediate to make a chemical at the end that is very low carbon compared to what's made from fossil fuels, uh, then it's a very effective use of green hydrogen. If you're displacing something that's easily electrified otherwise, then, you know, it's, there's, there's a little bit more debate about that. Like, for example, cars, personal motor vehicles, are very effective when they're electrified. I mean, I, I think Tesla is a good example of that. And the efficiency analyses around electric vehicles are very robust. People have done a lot of work on understanding how efficient electric vehicles are compared to internal combustion engine vehicles. Now, if you're, if you're trying to run a light vehicle off of hydrogen, you're gonna lose a lot of your efficiency because that conversion of electrical energy to chemical energy has a lot of losses inherent in it. 
So for light vehicles, you, you may be better off electrifying them using a battery. However, batteries, you know, are very heavy and you have an energy density problem there. So while you may be able to electrify a light vehicle fleet, there's no way you're going to be able to fly airplanes for extended periods of time on batteries. So that's where you need a really high energy density liquid fuel. And yeah, hydrogen, maybe not the safest thing to be flying with, but fuels like we make are essentially the same as what they're already using. You know, back to the kinds of products you're producing, I don't think I was aware that Ural's vodka through blind uh, taste tests had been so decorated with these awards. That's jaw-dropping in lots of ways. That leads to a question, though, for the products that you all produce, we've talked about cost. Now we're talking about kind of the premium, you know, quality nature of what you're producing. I guess, you know, today versus whatever, how are you to find tomorrow? Do you expect to sell your all's carbon to value, your end products, based more on cost, based more on the story, kind of, you know, buy one, give one, based more on the you know, premium, the kind of quality nature or, or some combo? What, what's, the, what's the kind of product differentiation versus business as usual, if you will? Well, so we, I will say the first product differentiation for us for all of our products is quality, is product quality. You know, and uh, people buy our, our vodka not even knowing that it's sustainable because they they appreciate the way it tastes or they um, they read something, you know, from a, a, a spirits periodical or they heard from a friend or, or that sort of thing. There's a preconceived notion that when you buy a sustainable product, you're getting something that's, that you're compromising on quality in, in some sort. And that's not true. But sadly, a lot of sustainable products out there have, uh, you know, fallen within that narrative, so to say. We wanted to flip that on its head. And so that's why we've put so much effort and time into making our products all extremely premium products. First off, because they are expensive, because it does cost a lot of money to, you know, produce things from carbon dioxide. It's cheaper to make things from fossil fuels. As, as I mentioned, if it were cheaper to make it from carbon dioxide in the air already, then we wouldn't have this whole climate change problem. But, but essentially, uh, you know, we try to make a premium product. Uh, we are, we are going to be sustainable by nature. And we try to make a premium product to justify its cost. And so we, we believe that every one of our products is, is good value for the money because you're getting a very high quality product, even though it is a bit pricier than, you know, we're, we're a $70 bottle of vodka, not a, not a $20 bottle of vodka. Well, and, and taking that approach of selling on quality, high quality, look, you're going you're gonna to reach a larger portion of the market than I think just selling on the carbon sequestration, the sustainability angle. So I think that's probably the right approach to look to sequester more carbon, uh, transform more carbon out of the atmosphere while, while building the brand that who knows, maybe, maybe down the road allows you all almost in the, I mean, I, I'm projecting here. So, so this could be not the strategy, but a company could, right, start off with high quality premium products. And then over time, you know, migrate to products that reach a larger portion of the market, say, like with what Tesla did. I mean, look, not a required path, but an option, let's say, for, for companies in the carbon to value space. That is our plan. We, as we scale, we're going to drive the cost to produce down and uh, we're going to be able to get into, you know, broader markets. We're going to be able to um, improve our reach and improve the impact that we can have toward fighting climate change. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, so look, you, you all are a um, high growth venture back company. You know, one of the things we talk about on uh, the Climate Torch is how companies fund their growth. You know, some take 
the venture route, others, you know, corporate, more strategic, others just cash flow. Maybe if you could say more about your process for funding your role's growth, historic, present day, uh, future, et cetera, and why that's the right fit given the kind of company that you're building. Yeah, absolutely. Would be glad to. So yeah, we're primarily investor backed. You know, a lot of this is public information that you can find just from, from Googling our company. So we're primarily investor backed. We also obviously do have revenues. We've uh, been fortunate to get some support from a handful of government agencies in the United States and Canada that, uh, you know, have supported our technology based on their, their technical merit, based on its technical merit, as well as its potential to, uh, to help fight climate change and even its potential to help further human exploration in space and on Mars. We've actually received the largest amount of support that we've received from any United States funding agency is from NASA to use our carbon dioxide conversion technology to convert CO2 into value-added products in space stations and on Mars. We have been able to put together, you know, uh, funding from a variety of sources like that. It's something that, you know, we obviously uh, value the most, that we have investors who, you know, who have the same priorities as we do. Namely, the number one priority is fighting climate change, you know, and doing what we do in a sustainable manner. And, you know, if, if we were to do things any other way, if we were to do things, uh, you know, in a way that that was business as usual, uh, that's, that's not why we're doing, uh, doing what we do. So number one thing we look for, especially in investors, is commitment to sustainability. And then obviously, we do plan to be widely successful in revenue generating, uh, you know, high revenue generating, high growth company. And so we have a variety of different markets that we're going into. And we look for strategic partners, people who can help us help us access those markets as effectively as possible. So um, I would say, you know, our funding is a mix of the three categories that you mentioned, but we want to, number one, convert carbon dioxide in a sustainable manner that fights climate change. And number two, uh, have the, the right partners on board to, for us to be able to access those very high volume markets where we can truly have an impact. You know, first of all, that's all awesome and inspiring, truly. But where I was, where I was going was a little more lighthearted in that, listening to your largest source of funding from the U.S. government and thinking about your first product that has won gold awards. I'm thinking there's got to be a good vodka tonic joke about astronauts somewhere in there. Um, anyway, <laughs> yep. Maybe next time. <laughs> so, all right. So that's great. Let's switch a little bit maybe to thinking about listeners and, and what kind of tangible you know, advice they might be able to glean from this, from this podcast. So one maybe on your path, right? So you mentioned earlier, you went from this uh, you know, undergraduate work, physics and mathematics to starting a company, which you later exited from. Maybe advice for you know, first time founders as they're thinking about you know, launching their first thing. I don't know, a couple of nuggets if you had to talk to yourself way back then, knowing what you know now, what advice might have you given uh, yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, one thing that I can actually tie your previous question into that a little bit. Um, okay. You know, uh, one thing that when I was in graduate school, I had a lot of freedom to to research the things that I wanted to, and that helped uh, toward toward spinning out, you know, spinning out a business. Uh, you know, after that, I did uh, I, I did have a startup, you know, after high school. So I, I it wasn't my first time mm -hmm. building a small business yep. after graduate school. So I did have a little bit of background. You know, the the first piece of advice for technical founders specifically. And the thing that enabled me to be able to innovate when I was in graduate school was I was supported by a National Science Foundation Graduate Research Fellowship. 
So I was really, uh, you know, grateful to the to National Science Foundation for that. And they are one of the, uh, you know, I mentioned we had a couple of U.S. funding agencies that have funded uh, Air Company. And the first one was NASA, and the, the second one is the National Science Foundation. The National Science Foundation has a lot of programs for, for startups, ICOR, SBIR, and a handful of others that I would encourage any technical founders to look into and, and apply for. And, you know, credit the National Science Foundation as well for supporting us. And then I would say that the second part of that, and I, I've worked with a lot of founders of a lot of different businesses. If you're going to start a business, do as much research as you can just to understand how the startup world works. Understand what it takes to start a business. Do uh, an accelerator program or do some sort of training that will help you to understand what, what, the actual, what the actual steps you need to go through to start a business are. So I would say that generating knowledge about how to appropriately do a startup and how to do everything properly the right way. It's, it's, there's not enough time in this podcast to kind of go over a startup right. tutorial, but there are yeah. a lot of resources are out there. Uh, y Combinator has a startup, uh, like they have kind of like a startup wiki or, uh, you know, on their, on their website. And there's several other programs and several, several other groups throughout the country that, you know, that are um, interested in helping to build businesses. And that's, uh, that's, I think, very, very important. Well, for sure. And I think just, you know, a, a couple come to mind, right? Groups like Third Derivative or Greentown Labs, Elemental Accelerator and others, in addition to Techstars and Y Combinator who have taken on uh, specific tracks, right? Along the lines of climate, sustainability, et cetera. Great ways to, to enter a boot camp uh, for sure. Uh, and I'll add on to that list, uh, Mass Challenge. So they, um, they were started in Boston, but they've branched out to several countries, several states. That was one that I did, you know, early on as well. So there are no equity accelerators. So you apply, it's a zero equity program. And then if you're one of the startups that did well, they give you just a, a cash grant. Um, and so they, you know, they hand you a prize. That's another one as well that uh, has a very, has a very good startup curriculum. Got it. Good point. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was, I was thinking about is if I want my kids to be starting businesses out of college or in college, I think what I'm hearing is entice them to maybe start a business while in high school. I say that, of course, part in jest. It is, it is their own path, uh, but gosh, I hope, <laughs> I hope they see the, the excitement of entrepreneurship early uh, as well. Uh, let, let's, uh, let's maybe finish here with some other uh, thoughts on, on the staff side, right? So uh, in any habits or, or routines that you find are, are helpful contributing to your success as a, as a multiple time co-founder, whether that's daily or, or monthly or yearly kind of habits, if you will. I would say, uh, I mean, obviously the, the, the habits that have been most beneficial for my business have evolved as, uh, you know, as the, as the business has evolved, you know, at an early stage, you know, apply for everything. So my advice to early stage founders has, has been, if you see an opportunity, apply for it. If you think it's at all relevant to your business, if you get accepted to it and it turns out it's not what you wanted, then you're always allowed to, you're usually almost always allowed to decline things after the fact, but apply for as many things as you possibly can. I applied for several accelerators for all of my businesses. You know, you definitely want to, um, you miss every shot you don't take, especially as an early stage founder. Then as, uh, as time goes on, as you, as you grow a business, I would just say, uh, you know, very efficient time management is very important. Um, I live by my Google calendar at this point. Like I, if it doesn't go on my Google calendar and that's, not just for business things, that's for like personal things too. <laughs> you know, right, uh, right. if it doesn't go on my Google calendar, it essentially doesn't exist. So it's, it's, uh, 
a very, very structured and effective time management is really important, especially when you're in growth phases. And then the, my, my last piece of advice, and I think probably the things that the things that kept me sane in the in the toughest of times, probably uh, keep exercising, because usually uh, like jogging or, or exercising is one of the things that kind of gets dropped off the radar first because people just don't think it's a priority. But you know when things are tough, it, it, a good run to clear your head. You don't want to deprioritize exercise. You could dig yourself even deeper. Remember to get uh, to get exercise in, and remember to eat eat at least a few square meals a day. So uh, I've, I've definitely seen a lot of founders where that those both those things kind of got dropped by the wayside, and it, and it affected them negatively. And at, at times in my life, it it definitely happened to me as well. But I learned from those times that even when things are tough, your your body needs exercise to keep thinking effectively. Sticking with the running theme, entrepreneurship is a, is a marathon, not a sprint. And so act accordingly. The, the other thing along the lines of exercise is um, we all know the difference, or I think we do, between urgent and important uh, items on our to-do list. And I think exercise is one of those things that, you know, it's important, but not urgent. But if we put off the important things too long, they become urgent in the, in the wrong way. So yeah, here, here on uh, maintaining that balance. We're all pumped about the mission of our company. We need we need you all to succeed and others as a model for turning, you know, liabilities, think greenhouse gases into assets, you know, carbon to value products, which you all are proving can be done. So kudos and winning uh, awards in the process. So so love that. If you're looking to hear from folks who hear this podcast, what what are those folks folks look like? Who are they? Is it on talent or customer side? What what might those inbounds look like if you had your your druthers anyone i'm 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 always happy to help people who are um either trying to embark on a startup path or trying to do good i mean especially uh you know the folks who are trying to do good for our planet so you know i I would say the people that i the people that i enjoy hearing from the most are the people who are are trying to do something that will help to fight climate change as well uh, or you know help with sustainability in some other way because i i always i talk about our potential impact at air company, uh, you know, and I always mention gigatons of, of carbon dioxide, but there are, you know, there's a lot of carbon dioxide that, that air company is going to need help uh, addressing. You know, even if we are to, even if we do reach all of our goals, uh, you, we'd be able to mitigate 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions. It's still the other 90%. So I think this is truly a global, uh, you know, going to have to be a global effort. And I'm always happy to hear from folks who are, who are working towards sustainable solutions to help fight climate change, to help them, you know, improve other earth conscious challenges as well. So that's kind of my spiel. (laughs) Sounds good. Again, kudos to you and the team for taking such simple inputs, carbon dioxide, water, and renewable power to produce uh, award-winning products. Now first generation, and then the the next generation uh, products, which which you teased us with uh, as any good, as any good entrepreneur would. So we're we're all uh, on the edge of our seats for the headlines to come on on new products and new capital partners and the rest. Anyway, hey, hey staff, uh, great to chat. I appreciate the mobile sound booth uh, play here in your car. And uh, we'll let you back to um, launching this product as we speak. All right, man, until next time, talk to you. Thanks very much, Chris. Welcome to the Climate Torch podcast. My name is Chris Wedding and I'm your host. As a former private equity investor, startup founder, professor, impact banker, occasional monk, and founder of Entrepreneurs for Impact, 
I launched this podcast to share positive stories of CEOs and investors tackling climate change. In these interviews, you'll learn about their high-impact companies and investment strategies, successes and failures, career paths, habits and routines for productivity and health along the journey, and recommendations on favorite books, podcasts, and quotes to stay motivated. Among all the climate doom and gloom out there, I hope these discussions offer some light in the darkness and a model for what we should be passing on to the next generation. In other words, a torch. So if you like some of my other favorite podcasts, such as My Climate Journey, Invest Like the Best, My First Million, or The Tim Ferriss Show, then I hope you'll find value in The Climate Torch too. All right, let's get started. Thank you for joining us on The Climate Torch Podcast. We really appreciate your time and we know how valuable it is. If you want to learn more about climate finance, startups, productivity hacks, and occasional blurbs on stoicism, meditation, and conscious leadership, all with attempts at humor and levity, no promises, then please consider subscribing to our weekly newsletter called Zero, which you'll find on Substack. Or if you're a scale-up stage climate CEO or investor looking for a peer group to share best practices, expand your network, scale your business, and not be so lonely at the top, then check out our Climate Mastermind program at Entrepreneurs for Impact. Finally, if you want to draw more attention to world-changing climate CEOs and investors like those on this podcast, then I encourage you to subscribe, follow, or rate the podcast. That makes it easier for new listeners to find and be inspired by their stories. Until next time, let's get back to launching ventures and growing businesses to tackle climate change.